Today's title is Fool's Gold. Fool's Gold. Hmm, some of you are thinking about that one time that said that one person sold you that one thing you thought was the real deal and you put it around your neck and it just started turning everything green and black and Remember that time? I know, I know, especially the women. Women say, hey, man, yeah, I, got, I bought those earrings. I thought they were real, but I tell you what, they turned green in just a couple of days. Turn in your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 16. This is a very important message. Uh, this is a theme, certainly, that is dear to me in my heart. How many read the book of Acts this week? What an extraordinary, extraordinary read. Absolutely powerful. I love the book of Acts. It might as well have been titled the, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. This is just so ex- extraordinary what God actually did, what he fulfilled during that time, during that era, through so many different people. The wonderful miracles that took place. I mean, they were innumerable. The miracles that took place in that one particular book and how the Holy Spirit moved in and out of people's lives. For what purpose? To establish, to ratify, to ratify the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ preached the message, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He performed miracles, he drew the masses. But in the book of Acts, God selected certain individuals to bring about the ratification of the kingdom of God. Namely, the local church. And many churches started to to sprout up, if we can use everywhere. Uh, And it was a glorious, glorious thing. And I want you to think about the culture that existed in the world then. If you've read your Bible, you know. The the culture, the religious pagan culture that existed in the world then. And what God sought out to do in the lives of masses. I mean, just think of it. Here it is. He's introducing a new message. At least it was new to them. Right? If they had studied the scriptures, they would have realized that it was coming. It was coming. It was on its way. Because the, the gospel message has been preached and predicted from the very beginning of the Bible. From the very beginning, Genesis 3.16. That one day, the Son of God himself would die on an old rugged cross. Now here it is, the scene is set, the gospel is being preached, and there's a resistance to the word of God. There's a resistance to the word of God. And a battle ensues as a result A major battle, in fact, for the human soul. Because as we stated earlier, when I first, when we opened up the service, we we said, I I asked the question, how many of you have ever heard the phrase, you are what you eat? Or you become the information that you take in. This is so pivotal um, to God. And I, and I could almost see it. I could almost hear the heart of God, the heart's cry from the Lord to make sure that we as mankind, as his creation, lend our ears or at the very least begin to lend him our ears so that we can begin to hear what the, what he has to say to us. A message that will set us free. John 8.32. Anybody? Anybody? John, John 8.32. And you shall... Know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Look with me to Acts chapter 16. We're going to begin with verse 16, and we're going to conclude with verse 24. 
as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She'd followed Parnas, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone... They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. You see that resistance that we were talking about. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd, the crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore their garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Pray with me. Father, we thank you again this morning for the opportunity to come into your house. Now we've gotten to the point, to the time in this service where we get to hear from you, Directly, Father, make it plain, make it clear. Speak to your people. Speak to us about what it is we need to be hearing from you today. This complex, this dynamic reality that exists in society today, this clash of information, this info war, this information warfare that is taking place for the human soul. Father, we thank you for this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people say, Amen, Amen, Amen. Fool's gold is defined as following. A brassy yellow mineral, especially pyrite, which can be mistaken for gold. Pyrite is considered the most common of sulfide minerals. Its metallic luster and pale brass yellow appearance give it a superficial resemblance to gold Hence, the well-known nickname of fool's gold. Now, I want to ask you, and I want you, to sh- I want you to show me, but I want you to be honest with a show of hands. How many of you have ever purchased, purchased a piece of jewelry you thought was real, but it turned out to be fake? Come on, let me see. I, I, think, I think all the women's hands should be up. I know, I know there was a time in the past. Ruthie said, no, no, not me, Jack. I, I'm smarter than that. Listen, I'm going to tell you a quick story, and it's a true story. I was coming out of the DMV downtown Philadelphia one time, maybe, I don't know, six years ago. I was renewing my, my driver's license at that time. And that was just one of the places where everybody went. And lo and behold, I come out of the DMV, I get my, my license, and I'm excited. I'm really excited. I renew my license, that is. I have a commercial driver's license, and at the time, I was heavily preparing to renew my hazmat endorsement in my license. And it's not easy to retain your hazmat, especially if you have a criminal record. 
So I had to answer a lot of questions. It was a big deal for me. So I was excited walking out of the store. Right? I got my hazmat. And lo and behold, it was the opportune moment for somebody to sell me something that I did not need or want. And he walked up to me. And in my ignorance and in my state of bliss, right? Listen, I got this watch. And I looked at it. And it looked real. Listen, it looked good. It looked real. Right? I forget the brand it was. And I was so excited. I paid him, I gave him a hundred dollars. I went, wait for me right here. I went, yeah, I know, I know. I messed up. I messed up. I said, wait for me right here. I went to the Mac machine. I got out a hundred dollars. I put the hundred dollars and I snatched it before he changed his mind. And he's thinking, this guy's a sucker. I gave him a hundred dollars. I walked away with the watch and I ran home excited. I went to my mom's because I was scheduled to go meet with my mother that afternoon and my older brother was there as well. He died, and I was so excited I showed it to him in my ignorance. And he, he took one look at it. Just one look at it. He said, dude, they got you. <laughs> he said, dude, that's a knockoff. Can't you tell the real from the fake? And I couldn't. I couldn't. Now, it hasn't happened since. But the guy got me good. One hundred dollars for something he probably stole, right? Which was probably maybe a five dollar piece. And I couldn't tell the difference between the real from the fake. This sort of stuff is happening in society today. It's just an illustration. But it speaks to the reality that exists in society today concerning the flow, the flow of information. Did you know that most people are unable to make the distinction between truth and falsehood? Most people cannot. It's the reason why the world is filled with people who do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's not because the masses here in the United States haven't heard the gospel, especially here in this particular town where there are Christian churches everywhere. The flow of the gospel is constant, is consistent. In prison, for example, you cannot go to prison and not hear the gospel. Immediately from the moment you are remanded to the institution, you are, you are impacted with the flow of the gospel truth, of the gospel message. It's prevalent in our churches. And people have to make a decision right away as to whether to serve Jesus Christ or not the moment you're in, in a prison cell. We're making decisions all the time concerning the gospel. Point number one, there's more than meets the eye. To borrow a phrase from Transformers. I I saw you, Matt. I saw your lips. Transformers. You probably watch all of them, right? You probably have the whole collection. Now he's getting red since I put him on blast. There's more than meets the eye. And this point deals with the need for us to be discerning, clearly. It deals with the need for you and I to be discerning concerning the information that we take in. Now, let's consider this passage for a moment, the one we just finished reading. It it talks about a maid, depending on your version, or a slave girl, or a damsel, who, for all intents and purposes, she appeared to be the real deal. Consider what's happening. The evangelistic crusade is in full swing. Paul and Silas and the rest of the team, they're preaching the gospel. People are getting saved. People are getting healed. Extraordinary things are happening. And lo and behold, in the shadows, there's this young little girl, a slave girl, who before 
the evangelistic team showed up in the community. She was the one. She was the one in charge. She was the one duping and deceiving and, and conniving the people of their money. The passage says that she was making a lot of money for her masters. So she was the one who, she was the influencer in that one particular community. And now the gospel is being preached and she's shadowing Paul and Silas, declaring to the people, these are men of God. You need to listen to what they're saying because they're preaching to us the things of God. Kind of shaky there, kind of shady there, right? It's amazing. Now let me tell you, look at verse 16. I want you to read that. I'm not going to read it here, but I want you to read it. I want you to look at it. Because verse 16, it, it, it speaks to us about this, one, this young woman and the spirit that she was possessed by. The passage says that she was possessed by the spirit of, the spirit of divination. The Greek word for divination is python. It's a serpent spirit. Exactly like the Hindu serpent spirit. The Hindu Kundalini spirit. Write that down. Kundalini with a K. Because you need to look that up. Because it's an influence that permeates society today. Listen, it's probably not happening direct, directly, but Hinduism's philosophy exists in society today in more ways than you and I would care to imagine. It's called Kundalini, the serpent spirit. And she made her masters much money according to this passage. Now I want to draw your attention to verse 17 because we're going to read this one. I want you to see how deceptive the enemy can be. The same followed Paul and us and cried saying, These men are servants of the Most High God who show unto us the way of salvation. And the text actually tells us that this happened for many days. Can you imagine the acceptance that she must have received? By the people? I want you to think, that, think about that for a moment. She's declaring to the people who already knew her that these men were men of God. Every single day that passed, when she was in, and, and just imagine her saying this, she's declaring this. And with every passing day, she's being validated more and more and more. She had a message contrary to the gospel message. Now she's seemingly in sync with the gospel message. Seemingly. But there's more than meets the eye. What do you suppose would have happened in the lives of that community, the people in that one particular community, had Paul and Silas left the region without dealing with that particular demon spirit? What do you suppose would have happened? They would have looked to her for answers. Well, she's... She was validated by the man of God. Well, let's just simply look to her. It appeared as if she was in complete agreement with the gospel, which gave the impression of personal involvement. It's amazing. I asked myself when I first read this text, why in the world did it take Paul as long as it did, to actually turn around and finally rebuke this demon spirit. Why did it take so long? And I thought about it. One day it clicked. One day it clicked. This woman was probably in that region for a very long time, deceiving people. She was entrenched in the community. There are lots of places like that 
may not necessarily exist like that here in Norwalk, but you go to or, or, uh, Los Angeles, especially East LA, um, you go to Philadelphia and certain sections, and certainly almost the entire island of Puerto Rico, Santaria, witchcraft, is so blatant, it's everywhere. You can buy idols in the corner store. Children are just, you, you're running around the streets with this sort of thing. It's, it's just so pervasive in society today. And finally, one day, Paul the Apostle turns around, he rebukes that spirit. When did it happen is the question. When the crowd was, I would imagine thousands of people were present. I mean, the, the passage gives me the impression that lots of people were saved. Can you imagine what became of her and her ministry, her craft, her evil, her business? When Paul the Apostle finally turns around and rebukes she was exposed, the devil was exposed, her business was destroyed, and her owners, her masters, lost out on everything. Which is the reason why they arrested them in the first place. This situation that's taking place is representative of what is happening in our society today. Listen to this. Deceit takes leaps and bounds today when those of us who are charged with truth mishandle its application deceit and i know this is not an absolute don't don't misunderstand me but in many respects deceit takes leaps and bounds when those of us who are charged with truth mishandle its application paul the apostle turns around he rebukes the spirit and immediately stops that one particular issue the word of God takes root in that one particular region. I believe it's Philippi. The preceding verses, we didn't read them, but read the chapter. The preceding verses to this text give the impression that they were in Philippi. And we know that Paul went on to establish a, a prominent church in Philippi. Now let's apply this a little bit. Our role is not only as believers, as children of God, our role is not only to live out truth, our role is also to influence others with truth, with the gospel. Mark sixteen fifteen says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Some people actually believe that it is not necessary to evangelize. That it is okay to live in peace with society today, without disrupting, without challenging anybody with the gospel in any way whatsoever. As if the message that is contrary to the gospel is actually valid. Is the message contrary to the gospel valid in any way, shape, or form? In no way. No way. The gospel is the truth. And it is imperative that we live it out and we tell others about Jesus Christ. Why? Because if it's contrary to the gospel then it's misinformation, it's bad information, which ultimately leads to a living hell. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, if, you, if you're writing down verses, we've often cited this verse here in our service. Be sober, be vigilant, because the adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. So the devil is using information. He's using misinformation to deceive the masses. We know as believers on this side of the fence that the devil's really got no power at all. He uses some 
ways. He uses deception. And as long as you and I stand firm on the gospel message, on the truth of the gospel message, we can and will ultimately prevail. The victory is ours. It's the reason why we can actually come into a setting just like this. Because we are free indeed. John 8, 36. If the Son therefore should make you free, you shall be free indeed. Because there's power in the Word of God. You and I know that today. Paul the Apostle, Romans 1, 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It just says everybody. If you and I grab a hold of the gospel message... It will revolutionize our lives. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman who needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. This point has to do with the realization. The title is, There's More Than Meets the Eye. The realization that, listen, not everything that we're consuming, just like the food at the dinner table, Not all of it is good, and we have to be careful what we put in our mouths. If you want to be in good health today, you have to be careful what you put into your mouth. In the same manner, if you want to be healthy, if you want to know truth, live it out. You want to be sensitive to the things that pertain to God, you have to take part, or rather participate, in the Word of God. Point number two. Actually, let me give you this quote uh, regarding this first point. The most dangerous lie is the one closest to the truth the most dangerous lie is the one closest to the truth that is why false religions are so successful today all you have to do is somehow some way insert jesus just the name the person of jesus is not inserted just the name you insert the name of jesus and everybody is flocking why because you and i everybody on the planet has a natural inclination for god For the things of God. For the things, for spiritual things. We all gravitate to God. And so if I'm the enemy, I'm going to offer you something that's tainted. I'm going to offer you the lie, a big fat lie, tainted with just a little bit of truth. Point number two. Denouncing the lie. Denouncing the lie. And this point clearly deals with our need to take a stand against the voices, if you will, or the biases that are contrary to gospel truth. Someone once said, we become the information that we take in. And listen, if that's true in any way, shape, or form, it means that we have a say in who we develop into and what others are influenced by. There's some liberty there. That is why the goal should be to become better acquainted with the Word of God. Now I want you to consider, look to the passage. Look look at verse 18. Because we want to consider how Paul dealt with this one particular problem. Verse 18 reads, But Paul, having become greatly annoyed, he turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. So in other words, under the the leading, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, he, he turned, he faced this thing, and he stopped it right on its tracks. I wish I had 
an unlimited amount of time to unpack this because there's so much there, but I can't. Suffice to say that the Holy Spirit, he brings about this development in our lives that ultimately enables us to overcome all of our difficulties. I'm not the same person that I used to be in night prior to 1989. Why? Because I got a hold of the Word of God, and the Word of God in its capacity altered my spiritual DNA. It transformed my life. There's power in the Word of God. But there is a reality that we deal with on a regular basis, and that is the reality of sin. Hebrews 12.1, put that one down. It says this sin which so easily besets us, or depending on your version, it may read the sin which clings so closely. There's things that we struggle with on a regular basis. And if we are not careful... This sin will manifest or reveal itself and ultimately dominate in certain areas of our lives. There's a culture in society today that is so destructive, it reaches. It's this personification, if you will, this hand from this culture reaching into our souls the weaknesses, the inconsistencies in our lives. And we are challenged in these areas. So we must, as believers, do something about the inconsistencies in our lives. Thank God for His grace. Because through this process, there's no condemnation from heaven, right? Amen, somebody. Thank God for the grace of God. We can actually continue moving forward from faith to faith and glory to glory. But that is ultimately the goal. We have to stay near the cross. Here's another quote for you. Not everything that shines is gold. Right? No todo lo que brilla es oro. Not everything that shines is gold. So we have to be careful with the information that we are taking in. Point number three. Avoiding Satan's pitfalls. Avoiding Satan's pitfalls. And clearly this, this point, we're going to look at verses 25 and 26. And this point speaks to the victory that we can live out simply because we know Jesus. There's a victory that you and I can and should be experiencing on a regular basis because we know the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen. 25 and 26 reads, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Imagine! They were singing songs. They weren't in church. They were in prison. And they were given instructions to guard them safely. And as a result, the jailer took it upon himself. You know what? If I'm going to guard these guys safely, these guys are sure I'm going to put them in the inner prison. I mean, they were put in the dungeon in stocks. There was no way of getting out. But what did they do? According to this one particular passage, they entrusted themselves over to God. They entrusted themselves over to God. And it's a challenge doing that every single day. Because the sky is not blue. 
over my head every single day. Is the sky blue over your head every single day? It's, it's just not. It's, it's difficult. So how do we avoid Satan's pitfalls? We've got to handle properly the word of God. We have to entrust ourselves over to the Lord. He never promised that the sky was going to be blue every single day. He just simply challenges us to trust Him, to give ourselves over to Him. How do we do that? We give ourselves over to the truth of His Word. His message. We trust in His message. I can't see Him. He's not literally leading me by my hand. He's not doing that. And He never promised to materialize before you in your darkest hour to help you out some of your situations. God has never promised me that. Is He visiting you? Tangibly like that, in a literal form. It's just not the case. We're to live this out by faith. The verses that are previous to the ones that we read, like I said already, it actually tells us, gives us this idea that they were placed deep within the prison. You talk about persecution, they were experiencing persecution. But because of their attitude, because of the fact that their hearts were where they were supposed to be, they entrusted themselves over to God. They experienced a major, major, major deliverance. Persecution. Does that, that kind of trouble sound familiar to you? How many of you have really experienced some crazy, crazy level of persecution in your time? Figuratively speaking, it's happening to all of us. And clearly the devil doesn't only want us to, the devil doesn't only want to imprison us. He wants to discard us altogether. He wants to, he wants to put us in the dungeon, in the, in the inner prison. The question is how do we overcome? Turn in your Bibles please to James chapter 4. Because I want you to see this, not just hear me read it. James chapter 4. How do we overcome the enemy? We know that God has laid out a wonderful plan. We know that there's victory in Jesus. We know these things. But does it happen automatically in our lives? And it doesn't happen automatically. We have to yield ourselves over to God. It requires our commitment, our devotion, our dedication, our consecration. James chapter 4. I'll give you a moment. Some of you are still looking through your pages. James 4, say amen if you have it. Look at, verses, look at verse 7. And I'm reading the ESV. It says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. It says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. Sometimes we want to put the cart before the horse. And we think that just simply because we give our hearts to Jesus. That automatically Satan is going to let us go. He's not going to bother us. He's not going to interfere with our lives. And we lose heart. We lose faith when it doesn't happen that way. The reality is there's a commitment clause. If you will. There's a commitment component there. It says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will, that's an absolute, it's in the original language as well. And he will flee from you. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. 
Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. That's that consecration component, component that is necessary in our Christian walk with the Lord. We have to make some sacrifices. We have to let go of certain things. We have to yield our lives over to God. Because if we do not, then we smear, we compromise the Word of God in our lives. I want to draw your attention in your mind. I got some more verses from that passage that I do want to read. I want to read up to verse 10. But I want to draw your attention in your minds to, the, to the, 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 some of the parables that Jesus Christ shared, preached to his disciples and the masses. Remember the one concerning the, the, um, the seed that fell by the wayside? Remember the one, the, 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 the seed that fell among thorns? The seed sprouted up, but so did the thorns. And the thorns choked the seed of the word. Choked the life out of it. So there's this idea of instability and inconsistency and wavering to and fro. Jesus said it like the waves that come in and go right back out. This passage refers to that. A double-minded man is unstable in all his way. We're talking about handling the Word of God. As children of God, we're supposed to handle the Word of God properly. It's called appropriation. We have to take ownership of it. Wrap your hearts and minds around the gospel truth and allow it to sanctify you of the misinformation. We all have it, don't we? I don't know about you. I have my biases. I have my issues. I have my struggles. Areas that are charged by misinformation. Areas perhaps in my ignorance I haven't allowed the Word of God to consume yet. To sanctify yet. Just like some of the rooms in your house. When you bring visitors into, visitors into your house, do you, do you lead your visitors into all the rooms in your house? How many, how many of you show... How many of you had a visitor, say, this past week in your home? Somebody that you haven't had in your home in a while. Let me see your hand. This may be a few of you. But think about the last time you had a visitor in your home. When was the last time you showed your guests your closets? Oh, that, I struck a chord there, didn't I? Pastor Rick, we don't show our visitors our closets. You just don't do that. Think about our closets. Mmm. Skeletons in the closet. Linda, you got some issues? <laughs> we, <laughs> we all got some issues. Listen, there's some stuff in my closet at home. My wife especially. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to put her on blast. You know, we, she's, she's bracing her. She's bracing her. Listen, when the guests come home, she throws everything in the closet. There, I said it. Right? Because everything has to be in its place. Huh? Everything has to be in its place. We, we can't let the guests know what. what that, that's what they're for? No, the Bible says in decency and in order. Put it away where it's supposed to go. Fold, if it's a coat, fold it up or whatever, a jacket or shirt, whatever. Fold it up, put it away, put it on a hanger. If it's a coat, put it up on a hanger in the closet. Don't just throw the boots and stuff and paper and all that stuff. At home, you come to my closet, you open the door and everything is going to fall out of it. I'm just kidding. 
all my <laughs> all my stuff. But the point is clear, isn't it? We got some work to do. Let's finish this passage in James four. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. That's solemn there. That's serious there. It says, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now, don't misunderstand me. This is not about asceticism. This is not, not about becoming a monk and going off in some in some mountain or whatever, and isolating ourselves from any form of pleasure whatsoever. But it certainly isn't about hedonism either, the, the opposite extreme. When we lend ourselves over to all types of pleasure simply because we're children of God and we have this grace thing over our heads. There's an imbalance if you go to either one of those extremes, right? The point is that, yes, the Bible does in fact teach about sanctification. I want to be victorious, I don't want to be overburdened. I don't I have issues, but I don't want to be ruled or controlled by the issues in my life. I want to walk on water just like Peter did. And it happens only when we handle properly the Word of God. Because when you mix it with anything contrary, you compromise the Word of God. There's a passage in the book of Leviticus. I think it's Leviticus 19. I, I believe. I'm almost certain that's the, that's the neighborhood. Leviticus 19. And, it, and it's a commandment by the Lord to Moses concerning seeds. Certain types of seeds. And the emphasis was don't, don't mix this seed with this seed. And of course, it was a metaphor for handling. Out to venture out into the promised land. And the message... That God was giving them. The truth, the information, the standard that God was laying out for them to live by. He said, don't go mixing this with the strange information you're going to encounter in the land of promise that I'm giving to you. He says, there's a whole lot of stuff over there. I don't want you to be a part of. I don't want you to cling to. I don't want you to adopt in your lives. Don't give your men over to those women and vice versa. I don't want you to go doing the, the things that they're doing. Don't go sacrificing your children to Moloch or Asherah or any other deity, any other demon. This is the standard. Don't mix my word with anything on the other side of the River Jordan. The, that principle still stands for us today as children of God. And I know that I'm, I'm in... I'm in in a good place here with you, this community, because I know that we're conservative in that way. We understand these things. But not everybody understands the Word of God in this way. We live freely, without any parameters, without any discipline, and we wonder why we hurt as much as we do. Did I finish that James 4 passage? Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and He will exalt you. And He will exalt you. Isaiah 5.20 gives this impression. It says that if we live, it says it gives us this idea that we live in a generation where everything has been inverted. That somehow everything has been flipped upside down. What's bad is good and what's good is bad. 
That's Isaiah 5.20. I want you to take a look at that a little bit later. Put that down on your notes. Isaiah 5.20. And God was speaking to his people. He was trying to get them to understand that it is that way in your perspective about society because you've mishandled my word. Romans 8.36-39. through 39. For your sake we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep for the sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And of course, these verses speak to the, the, to the individual who has recognized the need to embrace fully the word of God. It's not about perfection. We cannot be perfect this side of heaven. But this Romans 8, 36 and through 39 passage, it speaks to those of us who understand the importance of the word of God. And appropriating it in our lives. It says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen, somebody. Praise God. I love that passage. Joey, I'm ready for you. I love that passage because it's just, listen, we may be going through something. Times are tough. Society has been flipped on its head. People are doing things backward. What bad is good. What's good is bad. But if we, as God's people, choose to embrace the gospel message, it will revolutionize our lives. Amen. It will revolutionize our lives. Are you struggling with something here this morning? Anything at all. It doesn't matter. Are you wrestling with something in your flesh? Are you wrestling with sin? Are you dealing with a, an issue, a problem? Perhaps you're not even at fault. But something keeps coming at you on a regular basis. Perhaps you've opened a door. I know what that's like because growing up we opened doors. My father practiced Santaria and the rest of us sort of just accepted it. And as a result, it negatively impacted our lives. And I became a very violent individual. So much so that we formulated one of the worst gangs in Philadelphia's history. Dolphin Street Posse. Guilty of all sorts of heinous things. Because I didn't know truth. Because I didn't know truth. The information we take in will determine who we become. Who we develop into. Stand with me as we sing a song in worship to the Lord. And think about the information you have chosen to live by today.
careful what information we are consuming on a regular basis. Be mindful of what you eat physically because that will determine your health in the end. But also, most importantly in life, be mindful of the information you choose to consume. Whatever it is you listen to. Whatever conversations you entertain with people because it will have a lasting effect upon our lives. I want to ask, because I know, is Joyce here? Joyce, Joyce, can you come up, please? Can you come up? I know that she's transitioning. Her body is, she's just, she's just wrestling with something that we want to be faithful as a church to pray. Anybody else wants prayer? You're not feeling well? You want the church to pray for you? Come on up. I know there's some of you. Come on, don't wait. Somebody else. I know I'm going to stand in proxy for somebody who's struggling physically. Come on up. Come on up. This is nothing to be ashamed of. We want to just make room for God to bless us. Just, just make room for God, church. Make room for God. Thank you, Lord. with a family member that is sick perhaps in another state you want to come and stand amen let us pray by your hands Father we thank you for this moment we thank you for the fact that you are God and we are we are unashamed and we sat here in your presence the presence of your people Father with our loved ones here in this church who are struggling physically. We pray for Linda, Lord God. We pray that you minister to her physical body. We know that you are able. We know that you are our great physician. We know that, Lord. And I know, as I've always said, I know that you died for my sicknesses and diseases just like you died for my sin. That's what Isaiah 53 teaches me, Father. We don't understand why things happen the way they do. But today we give ourselves into your hands. We ask you to be merciful and gracious. To bring healing to our physical body. We pray for our dear sister Joyce. Father, you know that she's struggling. She's wrestling with this, this thing called cancer. We pray for her. We place our hands upon her now. And we ask you, Lord, to bring healing to her physical body. We pray for her husband, Father Ron, who's also carrying this particular burden with his wife. And perhaps some others in the family as well. We pray that you reach into his life, his physical body, that you resolve these things, Lord God. We believe that you are able, and so we call upon you. We pray for Evelyn, we pray for this young lady, we pray for your father. We pray for our dear friend here, Mona. And Lord God, you know her heart, whether she's standing here for herself or for somebody else. Father, we pray for our brother Ryan. We pray for our brother Ron. We pray for our sister. We pray for our family, Father. Congregation who perhaps want to be up front, but for whatever reason could not bring themselves to do so. 
please minister to us as your people, Father. We Please keep our bodies as you have certainly saved our souls. And we thank you for this. We pray in Jesus' name. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Uh, don't forget that immediately after, if you are here because you're interested in becoming a member or getting baptized, we're going to be meeting in the one room over here to my left, to your right. Okay? God bless you guys. I promise we're only going to be maybe 15 minutes tops.